If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 586. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com, McClanahanAcademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, get great deals on courses as you're on the email list. I send out coupons. But, of course, I've got one running right now. I'm just going to tell you. If you go on out to McClanahan Academy and you put in the coupon code PRESIDENTS, it's President's Day week, put in the coupon code PRESIDENTS, I'll give you 25% off any class at McClanahan Academy. So if you're inclined to do so, Get that coupon. Get that 25% off. That includes on the bundles, by the way. So if you want to get one of those bundles, which are already discounted, there are four classes, two to four classes, depending on the on the series, you get even more off those. So 25% off just by using the coupon code PRESIDENTS. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can also purchase my books wherever books are sold. Online, going out, look for my name. Get my latest two are the Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings, both great books. You want those? Click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But of course, you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's a great way to support the show. And when people know you like it, they're going to like it too if they're your friends. So we got to spread the message organically. And of course, send me those show requests because I do. Cover show requests. You put it in an email, say, hey, can you talk about this? And in fact, today is one of those requests. So I had an email come in and said, look, will you talk about this? My family's been talking about this article a lot. And I want to know if you'll cover it in a podcast. And it's about Ken Burns. And this is a nice uh, nice segue into a very important discussion about history. Of course, this is what I do for a living. I do history for a living. And uh, this podcast isn't always about history. It's about other things. But my full-time job is history. So that's what I do. McClanahan Academy is all history. And I like talking about history. And the best way to promote and sell history in the modern era is through the documentary. In fact, there's a poll on this. Over 62, actually two-thirds of Americans get their history outside of the K-12 from documentaries. And documentaries are extremely popular. You go on to uh, any, of your, uh, any of your subscription services that you get now for television. That pe- you know, People have cut the cord. They're not, they're not getting cable. They're not getting satellite as much. They're going out and they're subscribing to Netflix or Disney Plus or uh, Hulu or you know, take your pick, Paramount Plus, whatever it is, the Peacock Channel. They're going out and subscribing to these channels and by the way, years ago, uh, when that I, I said, you know, if we could just a la carte things, just a la carte what you want, and you just you get rid of all the other garbage, it would be great for television. If that's what you want to do, you like to watch television. So you've got all these subscription services, you know, 
And people are interested in, uh, in watching documentaries through those television services. Disney Plus, for example, has the National Geographic part of it. Or you get Discovery Plus or some of these others. Uh, the History Channel's got their own. AMC, they've all got their apps that you can go out and watch these things. So people love documentaries. And that's because it's infotainment. I mean, you think about this podcast is infotainment. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to entertain you with information. Uh, my emails are infotainment. And I'll, that, that term came to me from Tom Woods, in fact, uh, who sent out emails and he called them infotainment. I thought it's a great way to describe it. You're trying to entertain people. You're also trying to give them some information. And that way people will read your stuff. And so infotainment is important. And do documentaries are a key part of that when we talk about history. What is it that students like in classes, traditional classes? Well, they like the infotainment. And this is what people want now. Um, when, I, when I do this on a regular basis, I do things like, you know, go out to Google Earth and zoom in and do this. And I show videos and I try to get, I try to use uh, multimedia tactics to get people interested in the topics. We do documents as well. We do these things. But the whole point is to entertain them as well because history comes alive when you entertain them. And I will say, one of the best at ever doing this, even though I disagree with him on so many things, is Ken Burns. And so the article that was sent to me is about Ken Burns. And I'm going to go through some of it because I think what he says there, he says some important things. This is an article published in Variety magazine. But Ken Burns came up with the, with the technique that the, now that every documentary uses, where you pan the images, you slow pan on still images, and of course you have the, the voiceovers, you've got uh, you know, sound effects, you've got all these things. You make a movie essentially out of still pictures. It is an amazing technique. Now, that's not what he's doing is basically applying something else that was used in the 19th century to do the exact same thing. It was called the panorama. And the panorama was they took a, they'd take a big sheet, right? And they'd paint on it, and it would be on rollers, and uh, or a, sometimes called dioramas, but they would be on rollers, and they would go across, and they would roll the thing out, and they would tell a story with the pictures, almost like a motion picture, but it was still. And they would have you know sound effects, and they would have voices. they do all kinds of things. In fact, one of these was presented from an American to Queen Victoria, and this is an interesting story. Uh, the guy, the story that was presented to Queen Victoria, he did one on the Mississippi River, which was very popular. But the one he presented to Queen Victoria was on the burning of Columbia, South Carolina during the war. I found that fascinating that the, the panorama that was shown to the Queen of England was about this horrible event that happened in South Carolina. The, the image itself has been destroyed. In fact, there was I, I tried to contact. It was in the Dakotas where this thing ended up. And I tried to contact people in that region and said, look, is there any remnant of this thing anywhere that people could look at? And apparently the story is that it got put into a school, parts of it, and then it got maybe put behind a wall and nobody knows what happened to this thing. But I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a shame because it was lost. And it was one of the most famous things from the United States in the post-war period this, this uh, one with Mississippi, one, of course, on the burning of Columbia, South Carolina. But it's like a documentary. And that's exactly what Ken Burns does. And he weaves in the historical experts, and they're sitting there in their chair, and they talk. This is what we've come to expect out of documentaries. Ken Burns is a pioneer in that. 
and the way we use films now to do this. And he's got a new one coming out on Ben Franklin. But of course, if you followed PBS for years, you know about Ken Burns. The first thing that he really did that made an impact was the one on the quote-unquote Civil War. And I have to admit, you watch parts of that and the way they weave in music. And Bobby Horton did the music for that. I love Bobby Horton. Bobby Horton is is a very nice man. And he does really good period music. And the way they weave that in, and Bobby Horton's Dixie in that, is haunting, right? I mean, it's one of my favorite versions of Dixie ever, the way he plays it. Sad, melancholy. It's not the jubilant Dixie that you often get, which is, of course, great. But that haunting version of Dixie and the sorrow behind it, you get it. And, of course, also interviewing Shelby Foote, who was just fantastic. Shelby Foote, uh, I mean, really could teach people a lot of things. Even if you disagree with Shelby Foote and his positions on the war and everything else, Shelby Foote was a, was a great writer. And I remember watching Shelby Foote give a talk in person. It was one of the, I mean, it was wonderful to see Shelby Foote in person. And he said, uh, you know, if, if anybody can learn, if you historians out there, because it was basically t- geared to historians, if you historians could learn anything, it would be to learn how to write. Write a story captivate people with the written word because that's where historians are lacking. And you go out, and I talked about this yesterday with Ryan Walter's book on Warren Harding. It's fun to read. You go out and read most histories, though, you got to slog through them, all these pedantic academic nonsense. And I remember a uh, my chair in graduate school, the chair of the department, said, well, I mean, it's good for the historians to have these kind of things. So challenge you mentally to think, no, it's just awful. Who wants to read garbage? Who wants to read something that's terrible to read? Nobody wants to do that. We want to read something that's actually engaging. And that's where documentaries come in. People are engaged. And so Ken Burns is a pioneer in that. And Ken Burns has brought history to more people, to more people, to the masses in a way, that, than anyone else in the United States in the, in the last 30 or 40 years. He's done it because of documentaries. And you know people go out and they watch them. Baseball, jazz. Uh, the Civil War, National Parks, uh, and he's, he's got a list of all these other things. Some of them are just horrible in terms of the political agenda. And Burns says, well, I always try to hide my politics. Anybody that watches his stuff knows his politics. He says he's center-left. I would say he's not really that center. But they know his politics. And, of course, he's doing one on Reconstruction at some point, which I'm sure is just going to be as, as much pro union as you can get. Same thing with the war. I mean, people would say, well, you had Shelby Foote, you know, kind of kind of lost call stuff. Look, if you've watched that documentary, you know that it's not very pro-South at all in any way. There's nothing in there that's that's conciliatory or, uh, I mean, you do get sad uh, watching it. He does, you know, he, he, I think he has, he has a heart and he does uh, see the war as extremely destructive But at the end of the day, you get out of it. It's this righteous cause myth. It's a righteous cause myth documentary. But regardless, I want to go through this because they said that their family had been reading this and they talked a lot about it. So I'm going to read some of this. It's a long piece. I'm not going to go through all of it because uh, I just don't want to in, in the time for the podcast. But it begins, Ken Burns is scared about the future of America. I'm very anxious, Burns admits. I want my country to survive. I want to look back on all this and go, wow, that was tough, but we made it through. Just the way my parents and my grandparents talked to me about the Depression. I want to have this in our rearview mirror, but I don't think that will happen for a while. His fear, palpable and hovering around the edges of many of the comments he makes during a long, discursive interview with Variety on a chilly January afternoon is terrifying. After all, Burns knows of what he speaks. 
Over four decades and 40 documentaries, he has made the American experience his greatest artistic endeavor. He's chronicled the construction of civic wonders like the Brooklyn Bridge, as well as the creation and popularization of distinctively American art forums and pastimes such as jazz and baseball. And he's also memorialized those periods when the fabric of the country threatened to be torn apart, moments of civil war and revolution, of tribalism, racism, that have left many people listening not to the better angels of their nature, but to the far darker spirits. So Burns is supposed to be the guy. I mean, he's gone out, he's written documentaries, he's done documentaries, and he is the American historian. I I think that's what you're kind of getting. This is Brent Lang writing for Variety. That's what you're kind of getting out of this. Burns is the voice of the American historian. And I would say that, I look, you could probably find a lot of people that have PhDs in history and or even master's degrees in history that really like Ken Burns. They like to go out and watch his stuff. And again, it's entertaining. I don't watch many of them. Uh, but PBS has, has you know, of course, hired him on, and that's primarily who he works for. Um, and there's been some backlash to that. I mean, you can't... It's funny when the left starts eating its own, but, you know, well, Burns is, is blocking out other people, people of color, from doing documentaries. And, well, maybe they just don't do it as well, which is why Burns... And it's not because of their race, but I mean, they're just not as good as Burns at doing documentaries. I don't know. But, I mean, this is just kind of silly stuff. But then it goes on to Burns' America in 2022, teetering under the weight of propaganda and plague, is facing stark choices that will determine if it remains true to its foundational belief that all men are created equal or succumbs to political polarization and dysfunction. See, this is the problem. Here we are in Variety of Magazine. We've got the Proposition Nation myth weaved into this essay. It's so prevalent, it's so pervasive, that you can't even read an article in Variety magazine without getting hit over the head with it. And this is where Burns has just had too much of the Lincoln Kool-Aid, right? Too much of it. He's, he's had gallons of the stuff. Gallons of the Lincoln righteous cause myth, the Lincoln Kool-Aid. But are we really teetering under the weight of propaganda and plague? Who's really pushing the propaganda? Is it, see, to leftists like Brent Lang, it's people on the right. To Ken Burns, it's people on the right. But who's really pushing it? Now that we see that everything that we've talked about for two years has been a farce, who's been pushing the propaganda? Well, of course, the left. The left. The whole time. The whole time. And a plague? Come on. That's a little bit harsh. America is facing the greatest threat it ever has. Period. Full stop, Burns says. <laughs> really? Burns, the great filmmaker, thinks this is the worst threat? Are you serious? I mean, forget about that war that took place in the 1860s that killed a million people. A million Americans, by the way. This is the greatest threat? A bunch of people running around in red hats or black uh, hoodies. Uh, and you know that's a, I, I do think there is a threat. It's a culture war, and I do think there's an ongoing culture war. And the rhetoric, like Burns, is creating problems here. He thinks he's trying to do something to save something, but in reality, what he's actually doing is creating problems. COVID and the unique set of political problems we are dealing with have made it the fourth great crisis. The others are the Civil War, the Depression, and World War II. Well, what caused the Depression? It was uh, government. Civil War, government. World War II government, right? In all those instances, what was at the heart of these things? World War II didn't have to get involved in that. It was FDR. The Depression didn't have to be that way. 
Could have followed Warren Harding, as we talked about yesterday. No depression. Civil war? Lincoln didn't have to be a civil war. Lincoln could have let the South go in peace, and that would have been that. It's not a crisis. It's only a crisis because government made it that way. So where does that leave the rest of us? The country is in the middle of a racial reckoning and a pandemic that has killed nearly 900,000 Americans. We're in the middle of a racial reckoning? No. Americans, I mean, you've got the 1619 Project, which has tried to set the agenda, but what you're seeing across the United States, even in San Francisco, school boards are getting recalled. Why? Because they're tired of, well, the only thing they want to do is be woke and rename schools and do all the stupid stuff that nobody cares about. Leave the dang school name up there. That's not important. But see, this is the thing. You've got the Wokies out there trying to run things, and they're causing all kinds of problems. It's the Wokies. It's the lefties. It's the progressives. And Americans don't want that. At the same time, politicians like Donald Trump have successfully sold a myth of election fraud to the point where the majority of Americans believe that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. Well, didn't they say the same thing about Donald Trump? Didn't those on the left call him an illegitimate president? It was Russian interference. I mean, they sold that narrative for years. In fact, impeached Trump over this. It was Russian interference. Trump was illegitimate. That was the whole premise of the Russian, Russian interference in the election. It was. That was it. Trump's illegitimate. For four years, we had that. In fact, Trump was impeached after he left office. I mean, this is just ridiculous that somehow Trump created a, a situation that the left now ran with for four years. Illegitimate. So, I mean, where are we here, right? This is, this is how, you know, I think, siloed we are that people on the left can't see that, that they are the problem. They're part of the problem. You want to say the people on the right, are, they're, they're a major part of the problem. And then Burns. It's going to take a concerted effort on the part of a lot of well-intentioned people not to stand by and just say, I don't agree with what's going on, but to somehow get involved in the political process and shore up these institutions. What institutions? Which ones? The central government? We're going to shore that up? You can't shore that up. That thing's a mess. It's never going to change. It's just bureaucracy now. It's never going to change. You need to get involved at the local level. I'm going to talk about that this week. And of course, there are now people on the right saying, well, I mean, we need to get rid of local uh, elections and other things for some things, right? So he talks then about uh, Ben Franklin and then they get into his politics. Uh, he says, Some people were surprised to see him speak out, or at least his daughter, Sarah Burns, the filmmaker's daughter and the co-director of her father's documentaries on the Central Park Five and Muhammad Ali. It's just an area where it's important to make clear that there's not common ground. Burns, who describes himself as center-left, draws a distinction between the films he makes and the politics he embraces. I'm not interested in scoring partisan points in my work, however. I am still a citizen of the United States, he says. And when I was asked to give the address at Stanford, I want to make it clear that the Republican Party was about to nominate somebody who was um, temperamentally, I'm sorry, unfit to be president. And I stand by what I said. So, yeah, I mean, Burns, look, I, I've said, you go back and there's a podcast, uh, you know, Shut Up and Dribble that I did, where I've said that all these people should be more than able to say what they believe. But don't think for a minute that doesn't filter into their work. right? Don't think for a minute that because Burns, he drives himself as center-left, is not making center-left productions or even left-wing productions. Just simply the topics he chooses show what he thinks about things. Even if Burns isn't looking to apply a partisan lens to history, the very act of telling warts and all story of historical figures, such as Franklin, 
feels increasingly like a political act. The specter of critical race theory, a previously obscured graduate-level examination of raw historical patterns of racism, have been codified into laws and social institutions, has been weaponized by Republican governors in states such as Texas and Virginia to push laws designed to influence how history is taught. At the same time, school boards in states like Tennessee have banned books such as Mouse, a graphic novel about a Holocaust survivor from Curricula. The past has been politicized in new and troubling ways. So, I mean, here is this guy, you know, this writer, Brent Lang, saying that it's the right that's politicizing everything. Well, isn't critical race theory political? I mean, it is. That's the whole point of it. It's to make a political, it's to score political points. It's to use history as a weapon. In Burns Editing Studio in his hometown of Wapple, North New Hampshire, there is a sign that reads, it's complicated. He certainly applied that dictum to when it came to Franklin, an intellectual force and a legendary diplomat who could be cold with his wife and loved ones. And though Franklin turned against slavery, becoming president of Philadelphia's Abolition Society, he was late to the movement. Earlier, the Franklin household included, six, included at least six enslaved individuals, a moral stain on his legacy. Not only that, Franklin sold slaves, right? He slave traded. So, I mean, I talk about that in the Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers. Okay, so, I mean, this is a moral... But see, you have to... A presentism, it's a moral stain. Well, Franklin was a man of his times. That's what he was. And so he decided he didn't like that later on, but he certainly was a man of his time. If you understand Franklin, you're not going to, going to condemn him for something that was going on at the time. You just can't. The piece continues, At various points over the last five years, Burns has acted as consoler to a wide swath of the country, upset by the constant assault on the Constitution. Now, that's an interesting point, the constant assault on the Constitution. Well, I can say that uh, the constant assault on the Constitution was going on long before the last five years. Long before Donald Trump was in office. I mean, this is where these people are so, again, blind to what's been going on with the United States in the last 150 years, right? The assault on the Constitution is nothing new. And, of course, Burns is going to say that there was no assault on the Constitution with LBJ. He's going to do a documentary on that. Or, or Franklin Roosevelt. There's no assault there. That's not an assault on the Constitution. But what we've seen with Trump is an assault on the Constitution. Ridiculous. After a speech at Stanford, he received scores of letters from students in the audience that day who confessed they didn't do enough to stop Trump's rise to power or who reached out to Burns because he appears as an emissary from another time, one in which there was such a thing as political norms. So you see, it's not really the Constitution. People were upset with Trump because it was obnoxious, because it was vicious, because he mean-tweeted. But you can look at Joe Biden and say there's a tremendous assault on the Constitution. Mandates, all the other things they've done, that's an assault on the Constitution. Come on. Or you look at Obama, the Obama. Burns wants to do a documentary on Obama. I'm sure it's going to be all about Obama's assault on the Constitution because it's there. But no, it's all about Trump. This is where these people are just ridiculous. In the aftermath of the January 6, 2021 attacks on the U.S. Capitol, Politico asked Burns to weigh in on how history could help people understand the crisis. He was asked if the riot was the start of something or an end. It's neither, of course, Burns wrote. It's a moment when we each get to decide how we want to proceed. More than a year later, Burns believes America still stands at a crossroads. To describe the two paths the country faces, he turns to a classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, which premiered in 1946 as the country was looking ahead to a period of unrivaled prosperity while still grappling with the carnage of World War II. In it, Jimmy Stewart's George Bailey is made to see both his impact on his small town in Bedford Falls as well as the bleak fate that awaited it where he to have never lived and the community had fallen under the sway of a rapacious tycoon named Mr. Potter. 
My whole question to America is where do you want to live, says Burns. This is a simple choice between Bedford Falls and Pottersville. Do you wish to be a community in which everyone is bound to each other and enjoys the blessings of liberty and free speech and freedom to assemble and religion? Or do you wish to live in an I'll get mine Pottersville in which everything is degraded and corrupted, where it's all transnational and nothing is transformational? I'm sorry, transactional and nothing is transformational. So this is a an interesting, uh, in some ways, false dichotomy for the United States. Because the assaults on free speech and freedom to assemble in religion and all these things are being perpetrated by the left. The freedom to assemble? The freedom to assemble. Who, I mean, who, who's going after people to assemble? The left. Freedom of religion? The left. Freedom of speech? The left. This is the left that's engaged in these activities. 100% of the time, just about. In the past, the country has managed to reemerge from these moments of peril of sectional conflict or global conflagration, bruised but somehow stronger in the broken places. That might not be the case this time. There's nothing, he notes, that guarantees that America will endure. Nothing lasts forever, says Burns. The question is, do we wish to be complicit in the end of this American experiment? So I look at this piece in many ways, as absolutely hilarious. That last part. Now, I mean, again, I'm going to give Burns credit for what he does, which is make entertaining documentaries, even though I disagree with much of the politics in them, because there's a lot of politics in them. But here at the end, and Burns saying these things, and somehow this is a great historian, and this is how this is how he's portrayed in this piece, a great historian of 40 documentaries. He understands America. Saying that? That somehow Trump is the greatest threat to the Constitution in our lifetime? Give me a break. We've seen greater threats to the Constitution all the time. Trump is just a symptom of the disease, which is, of course, executive overreach, which is an American mindset that's been so saturated with the righteous cause myth, the proposition nation myth, that we somehow now are in a situation where uh, we want the president to be everything, the be-all, end-all. And we're going to have to have these solutions, all these problems. One thing that I do like about, though, with this It's a Wonderful Life, it's all about the local. I mean, there is something to that. What do you want your local to be like? And it doesn't have anything to do with Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Barack Obama or any of that, Hillary Clinton, any of the people running around right now, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, none of that. What do you want your community to be like? And I think that's where you have to make that determination. So I really, uh, I thank, I thank the, the person that sent this to me because it's nice to talk about documentaries, how important they are. And also, you know, when you look at the politics of the people behind it, you have to understand who's making, writing a book, making a documentary, who these people are before you get into it because you're going to get that when you, when you finally go and peel back all the layers of it. You're going to get their views on things. History has always been biased. There's never a point of time when it hasn't been. You're getting it from me. Of course, I'm biased on what I think and what I like. But um, So all historians are biased. We just have to recognize that. Um, and I think you know Burns saying, well, I don't put that into my documentaries. Yes, you do. You always do. Um, and his politics matter. Just as, and even just simple things like choosing subject matters. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then. 